be seated. <clears throat> All right. One of the things uh, that we talked about last week at the congregational meeting is uh, the worship committee and the Women's Advisory Council have been talking about doing uh, a kids-focused element in every Sunday service, something that would be unique, designed for kids with them in mind. So today we are going to do a sword drill with kids. So I need any – so what, first of all, here's what a sword drill is. A sword drill is uh, – I did this when I was little. Uh, it, it's when you have your Bible. So kids, you should grab a Bible at this time. And I'll, I'll call out a reference, okay? I'll, I'll say the reference. So if it was John 3.16, I would say go, and then you would see who could look it up the fastest, okay? And then you would stand up when you found it, and then you'd read it for us. Or if you're shy to read, I could read it too. But, you know, when you found it, you, you, usually you read it. So um, now, uh, I'd love to have anybody, any, any kids here, grades 1 through 6, grades 1 through 6, would you come and sit in the front row right here? I won't, I won't put you on the stage, okay? Just come up and sit in the front row with your Bible right here. If you don't have one, there should be one underneath. Um, Pastor Andrew will, will help you. Some, no, just kidding. He won't, he won't cheat. <laughs> no, no giving stuff away. And I'll have my Bible out too. And uh, if you beat me, we'll have a special prize. No, I, I'm just kidding. I won't have. I, I don't have a prize this morning. Maybe a different Sunday. Maybe we'll see. All right, I'm just gonna sit. Okay, let's just do that. All right. So, uh, sword drill rules. You gotta have your Bible closed. Gotta have it closed. And no cheating. Right. Right. So I'm gonna call out the reference, so you can think about it for a second when I call it out, and then I'll say go, and, and then you can look it up as fast as you can. And when you find it, when you actually see the verse with your own eyes, and not imagine you're seeing it, but actually see it, then you stand up, okay? And the first person to stand, I'll have you read it. If you need help reading it, if it has a big word in it, I will help you, that's fine. Uh, of course, if I don't find it before you, then I won't be able to help you, will I? So you're going to be fast, right? You're going to be fast. Okay, so these passages all have to do with the sermon today that I'm going to preach, okay? So they're all connected in some way. All right, Bible's closed. Are you ready? I'm going to say the passage, and I'm going to say go. You've got to wait for me to say go, though, okay? Here we go. Uh, let's do Matthew 6, 24. Wait, 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 wait. Matthew 6, 24. Think about it. Matthew, you're in the Gospels. You're in the second half of the Bible, all right? Matthew 6, 24. Go. Six twenty four. All right, hold on. Let's let everybody give a chance here. All right. All right. I should totally have a microphone for this. So let's do this. Can we get this one? Here we go. There we go. Derek, I think you were first. You got it? Read it. All right. Good job. Everybody sit down. 
Good job. Now, <clears throat> let's, uh, are you the only sixth grader here, Derek? All right, let's eliminate sixth graders. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I had this feeling that the older ones might have a little advantage there, so. Okay. We're still in the New Testament, okay? You can't open yet. I should obey my own rules. All right, we're going to do 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10. Hold on. Go. That's towards the very back. How many adults are doing this, but you're not saying it right now? How how many adults are doing it? All right. (laughs) You can't stand up, though. No standing up. 1 Timothy 6.10. All right. All right. All right. We've got it. Are you ready? You you want to read? Okay. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wondered for the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Good job. Good job. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, you ready? Close them up. All right. So let's say if you win, you let someone else stand up first. How about that? Is that cool? Is that cool? That's cool. It's all good. It's all good. All right. Here we go. Uh, All right. I got it. Psalm 24, verse 1. Wait, 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 go. Psalm 24.1. The cheat with Psalms is they're right in the middle of your Bible. Oh, he was ready. Look at this. Record time. Goodness gracious. I'll let the rest of you look for a little bit. Remember, Psalms is in the middle, kind of in the middle of your Bibles. The biggest book. All right. You got it? Mm-hmm. Go for it, Sam. The earth to the Lord, and so does everything in it. The world does not belong to him, and so do all those who live in it. Nice. Thank you. Awesome. Now let's do this. Let's do one. This will be just, how about just the first and second graders? Would that be cool? First and second grade? I mean, you can all look it up. It's fine. But I'll wait for a first or second grader to stand. How many first and second graders do we have in the front row, by the way? Just, just, just a quick... We have one, two, three, four. Okay. So the rest of you can look it up. But let's try a first and second grader this time. Can we do that? And I'll help you read it. If you're still learning to read, that's cool. Uh, but, but we'll do that, okay? Okay. First John 2.15. First John 2.15. Now, First John, remember, 
is really close to Revelation. It's really close. It's almost to the end. All, adult, don't look yet. Adults, come on now. I hear pages flipping. Adults, come on now. 1 John 2, 15. That's almost at the end. Go. First John two fifteen. If you find Revelation and go backwards. There's Jude and there's a few Johns right before Revelation. All right, here we go. Let me. You want you want to read it? I need a little help. You need a little help? Okay. Okay. Point to it so I know where you're at. Is that it? Oh, that's one more page over. Flip one page over. And I'm at two uh what did I say? Fifteen? Fifteen, all right. Two, and then, right, uh, there, okay? Right. This one right there. There you go. Ready? Do, Do not love, love the world, world or idols in <coughs> the world of animals. If, if anyone loves... If Anyone loves the, the world. world, loves for the Father. Father is not in them. Them. Good job. That's it. That's it. Nicely done. All right. You may all have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. All right, so keep working on those books, kids. Uh, we'll do something different every week. I mean, probably next week when we do another sword drill, we'll wait for a little bit before we do another one. But we're going to try to do something different every week that's a very kid-focused element in the service. I think one week we talked about having you all, all you kids, bring in an object. And, and while I preach, I've got to li- reach into the bag and pull out an object and somehow connect it to my sermon. That'd be kind of fun, huh? You know? So bring a toy, bring a really strange toy, and I'll pull it out, and we'll talk about it, okay? That'd be fun. So, um, all right, here we go. Let's do this. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 18. Go! <laughs> Who's going to stand up first? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> you got to love money on tombstones, right? That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay. August 29th, 2005, Hurricane Katrina hits uh the United States and leaves devastation in their wake. 1833 people lost their lives because of that hurricane. 
billions of dollars in property damage. And I remember the response of the church because there were two outstanding responses to that devastation in my mind. One, some people, some Christian, not all, but some Christian leaders wanted to try to say that devastation, that hurricane came because of the sinfulness of this country. And I'm not going to name names and who said what. I'm I'm not doing that. But some said it's because of abortion in this country. Some said, no, no, look, New Orleans was devastated the worst, and we all know how uh, uh, wild and sexually promiscuous that city is. And so some of these statements were made, this is God's judgment. And it always left me a little bit feeling uneasy about that. You know, and I was always kind of like, it just, something doesn't sit right with me. I mean, maybe it's that I, I don't trust these guys as, as prophets speaking and saying, this is what the Lord is doing. I mean, that kind of, that leaves me a little bit feeling weird. Um, I think about when Jesus talked about that tower of Siloam that fell on Jewish people and, and the question was posed, were those people that the tower fell on and killed, were, were they worse than anyone else? And Jesus said, no, actually, unless you don't repent, you too will perish. So, so the lesson was, we're all sinful, we all deserve to die. Excuse me, but some of us do experience that earlier than others. I think about the other notable Christian response, which was to leave, to go down there, and to help people rebuild. We sent a team, was it last year, Jerry? Is Jerry here? Jerry Lilligan? We sent a team last year to go down there and, and continue helping from 2005, that the work continues I have good friends of mine who had nearly completed a large building project. They just built their house. Beautiful house. I rented it for a while, actually. Beautiful house. And when Katrina hit, that family felt called to move down there. And instead of finishing his house he was going to help with a lot of other people's homes. And to this day, he's not moved back into that house. And I think of that response. And then I read this passage in Revelation 18, and what you're going to read is the fall of a city, a city that's destroyed. It's not going to be rebuilt as far as we know. It it really is done. And it seems like this fall is different than what we've seen as tragedies in American history like Katrina. And I think both of them, though, say, uh, put the challenge on the church, what should our response be to this? What should our response be to the fall of a city? Check out Revelation 18, fall of Babylon. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every, un- for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean 
<clears throat> excuse me, and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as a queen, I'm not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death and mourning and famine shall be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth <clears throat> who committed adultery with her and shared in her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth with her from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. <clears throat> Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she's been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. And we'll stop there. We'll read the rest at the end. What you have here is a lament for a city. For a city. Now, on reading this, what would you say is the predominant sin of Babylon? What would you say? There's a few sins mentioned there, but one seems to take up a lot more space than others, a lot more ink. Self-indulgence, I heard. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Now, let's be clear on a few things. We talked about Babylon last week. She was symbolized as a prostitute riding on a beast. So apparently the Antichrist is controlling the city. And I would say the city symbolizes the power of the world. Uh, this is a world power, a world system that opposes God. And at some point the Antichrist turns against the city 
itself. He turns against this world system, this world power. And it says in chapter 17, we read it last week, he devours it. So at some point the Antichrist says, I will not share my glory with any city, with any power. All the power, all the glory belongs to me. And so he devours Babylon. So the Antichrist actually helps cause the fall of an evil system. Now granted, God's plagues are also coming onto this city too. That was pretty clear too. But you see evil turning against evil and and consuming itself. Good doesn't do that. You know, you think of the Trinity, you think of God, you don't see the Holy Spirit and Jesus in conflict with each other. You don't see them jealous of each other. They, they work in unison. They are one. And yet they are three persons. And, and here you see the Antichrist who's being powered by the devil and he sees the world, which he's controlled for centuries. You know, the, he's had so much influence in the world, the devil has. And, and now it's like, no, no more, no more glory for you. It's all for me. And the Antichrist turns against his own and devours it. So, this chapter is just a lament for the fall of Babylon. It's like, it's over, it's done. That worldly power is finished. And as you, as you have seen in this chapter, it seems like one sin stands above the rest. If we think of New Orleans and we think of different cities and what they stand for as far as wrong things, sometimes a, a sin does rise to the top and a, and a city becomes known for something. And this is what we see here. The city has become known for its indulgence, for its luxury, for its wealth that's totally for themselves, totally for them. So in your notes, if you pull those out now and if you want to take notes along with us, the primary sin in view here of Babylon is, I would, I would use this word, greed. It's greed, self-indulgence, luxury, the love of money. That's what you see over and over in this passage. I'll call your attention to a few verses. Verse 3, you see it there. Um, even though verse 3 is, is spoken in terms of sexual unfaithfulness, I think that's a metaphor for the kings of the earth have committed themselves to this wealth and luxury. It says, For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And then you've got verse 7. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as a queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. There's this boastfulness. You see pride there. There's another related sin. Pride of saying, I have so much wealth There is nothing that can happen to me that will cause me to mourn. Do you know anybody like that that feels like they have so much that they're somehow insulated from from sadness and sorrow? It's a false security, but that's what's going on here. And then you have verse uh, 9. If you look at verse 9 too, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they're going to weep and mourn over her. They're sharing in the luxury of the world. So, yes, there are other sins in view here. If you look at the last verse, we didn't read that one yet, but if you look at verse 24 real quick, in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. This world power is responsible for the death of innocence. 
So, so when, when you think about people in the world that are suffering and dying because there's powerful, wealthy people above them that are ruthless and cruel, and we have great examples of that in, in history and even today, you think that is the power of the world acting right there to kill those innocent people. And, and, and I know by innocent, I don't mean that, there, that there's no sinners. I mean, we're all sinners and we all deserve punishment. I, I get that part, but... Innocent people as in people that don't deserve to die like this at the hand of a cruel tyrant or, or a rebel army or whatever. But it also says it's responsible for the blood of the prophets. So where you see martyrs, where you see the world killing Christians, that is the power of the world. That's the power of Satan influencing the world to do this against Christians. But that is not the only sin. The predominant sin here seems to be the love of money, wealth, greed. And, and, and that causes your mind to go in a lot of interesting directions, like does greed actually fuel the, the, the death of innocence? When, when you look at abortion in America, can you trace some of that back to greed? Maybe. I mean, there's interesting connections I think we can make there between money and these other things that are happening in the world. But here's the lesson, I think, for us Christians as I'm preaching to the church. Have you recognized how dangerous greed is? Have you recognized the power of wealth in your own life? Have you looked at your own heart and said, you know what, there are times I tell myself, if I only had a little more, I would be secure. If... I." If everything came crashing down, if your retirement was gone, would you still trust, would you still have security in God? Or have you told yourself lies to make yourself feel better? I will never mourn. I will never have bad days because my bank account is healthy, because my retirement is healthy, I have a lot of savings. If you've told yourself those lies then you are falling into the trap of greed. Because that's what the kings tell themselves. I will never mourn. I have so much. And then when it disappears, the torment is real in their lives. We ought to be careful about the power of money in our life. We ought to come to grips with it. Money will work its way into my heart and do things to me that are not, that are not spiritual, that are the, the exact opposite of that. Are you guarding yourself against that? Do you see that if you read chapter 18, you're like, is this really that bad of a sin? If you kind of look at that and start going down that road, maybe you haven't taken seriously this danger in your own life. Secondly, uh, if you look at verses 4 and 5, you have this voice from heaven. You can imagine that it's an angel, uh, more appropriately maybe, it's God himself saying, come out of her, my people, so that you don't share in her sins, so that you don't receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Come out of her. So there's this command, number two, that we are to separate ourselves from the world. We are to separate ourselves. Now you know, you know that we are called to be in the world but not of it. 
that, that we can't just remove ourselves from the world altogether. Um, a couple different ways to understand this verse. Some people have thought this could be God giving people on earth one more chance. Like, this is it. You can still come out. You can still repent. You can still find me. It's not too late for you. You don't want to share in those plagues because the wrath is coming. I think it's a call for God's people to be separate from the sins of the world. Now, that could be geographically separate in this day and age. You know, in the future, there may be a time when you say, wow, there's plagues on the world, it'd be better to leave the cities. (laughs) Because that's where I see God's wrath coming down. There may be a real fleeing mentality. But I think even, even more accurately, what we're seeing here is, don't share in her sins. Don't do what the world does. Don't live in that kind of luxury. Don't tell yourself those lies. Don't go there. Because if you do go there, you will get plagued like the rest of the world. The consequences will be coming for you. Um, So, second question I'll ask you. In light of this verse, do you share the Lord's financial priorities? Do you share God's heart when it comes to wealth? Because we know wealth is not the actual problem. Money is not the issue. Money is paper. It's paper. And gold is a metal. I mean, that, that, that's it. It has value, sure, but, but that in itself is not it. it. It's the power behind it. It's the greed behind it. Do you share the Lord's financial priorities? Does your heart break for people in this community that don't have what they need? Does your heart break for them? Do you do things about that? Does your heart break for children in the world that are starving? Do you do something about it? Do you care about the financial things that the Lord cares about? Maybe you've heard it. It's, it's probably an um, old saying, but it's a little story. Somebody that said, um, I always wanted to ask the Lord why there are so many starving people in the world. But I'm afraid he'd look back at me and ask me the same question. You know? That's, that's what we're here for. Every time I sit down with premarital couples, we always do a session on money. And I, I always say to them, if you have more than what you need, it's because God's given you that to help those that don't have what they need. The basics. And so the sin of Babylon is, wealth is for me and my luxury and my security to make sure I'm secure in the future. And, and, and as a church, we should read this and go, no, it, wealth is for to take care of my family and then to take care of others that don't have what they need. We'll talk about this a little bit in uh, cross-training afterwards, but the question is, where do you see needs in this community? What do you see? What can we do? What can the church do to meet those needs? Thirdly, Verses 9 through 19, that should have been the dead giveaway that we're talking about wealth and luxury in this passage. 9 through 19, Um, you've got all these different laments for the city, and you've got different people mourning the loss. That's number three. These people are mourning the loss of their wealth, of this city. And you've got verse 9, the kings of the earth. So political leaders are mourning the loss of Babylon. 
And I think it's interesting because you can see connections to today. You can see, you can see that many of our politicians, maybe a majority of our politicians, are wealthy people. They're wealthy. And I'm not saying that's evil and bad and how dare you be wealthy, but interesting that, that when the world system, this economic thing, comes crashing down, it's the political people that are mourning the loss deeply because they've benefited from this. The kings are weeping. Verse 11, the merchants are weeping. <clears throat> this is like your, uh, your small business owner. Let's make the comparison there. Their mourning, their losses. Then it talks about all of the stuff that they're selling. Gold and silver. This is verse 12. Uh, costly wood, bronze, cinnamon, spice. And then you get to the end and you realize, oh, this is a little more insidious than just gold and silver and spices. The last part of verse 13 is, look at it, bodies and souls of men. Souls. People. You're profiting on people. Just a way of life for them back then. How do you, how do you get things done in, 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 in ancient times? Slaves. That's how, you, that's how you build cities. That's how you get things done. Everyone knows that. That's how you get more for yourself. Slaves. And they're mourning the loss of their wealth. And then you have, lastly, uh, these kind of people. Verse 17. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship Sailors, I mean, kind of think of the, the sea captains, the ship, I think some translations say shipmasters. Uh, these are like your bigger corporations, <laughs> but in ancient times. They're, they're sending ships here and there. They're moving their cargoes around. They're selling in different locations in the ancient world. And they're mourning because they see the city burning and they know it's the end of all of their business. You can easily imagine these things happening today with an economic collapse. If the economy crashed, and I'm not wishing that on us, but if it did, think about the sorrow over that. Would we trust the Lord so much that it wouldn't affect us the way it has affected them? That's the question. My question number three is, you ever wonder if if greed is something that's taking root in your heart? Do you experience negative emotions when it comes to money? Where's your heart go? What do you argue about in your marriage? How has money impacted you emotionally? If everything fell away, would you still have confidence in the Lord? Would you? I certainly know business deals go south and bad things happen with money. It does cause us, it naturally causes us some hurt and pain. I get that. But if when your life is characterized by getting worked up about it, there's an issue. There's a sign. It's a sign. If you find yourself mourning like that, there's a problem. Lastly, You have this call to the saints in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, O saints and apostles and prophets. God has treated her for the way she treated you. We are called to rejoice. That's number four. We are rejoicing people. And we rejoice because God has finally done away with this evil world system that is opposed to people 
for centuries, that has killed innocent people, that has lived in luxury while the poor have only gotten poorer, and it's time to be done with that way of doing things. And so there's great rejoicing. God has acted. He's even used the Antichrist to turn against this system and accomplish his purposes because God is that powerful. He can do that. And so the question for us here is, in relation to greed, do I rejoice primarily in God? Do I rejoice in God? Does God give me joy? Or do the things of this world give me joy? I think this is different. I think this is different from New Orleans and Katrina. And, and let's read the rest, and, I, and then we'll talk about why. Verse 21. A mighty angel picks up a boulder the size of a large millstone. Millstone is how you grind grain, right? It, it's circular. But he picks up this large boulder, and he's giving them an object lesson. He throws it into the sea, and he says... With such great violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of the millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of the lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Babylon shares similarities with many cities on earth. I'll, I'll grant you that. But when this happens, this angel's picking up this boulder, right? And throwing it down and saying, that's it. This will never be rebuilt. This will never be the same. This is done forever for good. Don't try to rebuild it. But we as believers, when we see tragedy in the world, even if God is doing something that we don't understand, even if God is doing something judging that, that we don't get, that we don't, we don't completely understand that, we still have the call to be compassionate, to help people rebuild. This is not the fall of Babylon. This is the, 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 the many innocent people are, are dying Will we be a people that use our wealth, the wealth of this church, the resources we have to help people that don't have what they need? That's the challenge for us, both individually and corporately. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we certainly want to be faithful with what you've entrusted to us. All the wealth in the world is yours. So when we, see, when we see these things happen in the world today, we, may we be as faithful as others who have gone to work in other places. May we be faithful to do work here where we can. When we see needs, may we be faithful to give towards them, to work hard towards them. You've blessed so many of us, and so many of us have more than what we need. May we not fall victim to the sin of Babylon. May we not tell ourselves lies about how secure we are. May we only rejoice in you, the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.